Good to see you all this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming and investing your time. Obviously, I'm not Randy Nation. My name is Dan. I'm the worship minister here, and it is a joy and a privilege to be able to share with you this morning, uh, and I'm excited to do that. But before we do, I just want to let you know a couple things. Uh, add to your prayer list, Randy Nation, because he just had a torn shoulder repaired this past week in surgery, and so he's recovering with that, and we send him and Lori our prayers, and for a quick recovery and a full recovery, amen. We're going to be praying for them, but there's also some more people we can be praying for this morning, isn't there? We all know that not too far from here in eastern Kentucky, there was just unbelievable devastation brought about by the flooding that happened. Between the loss of property and the loss of life, it just takes your breath away. And uh, there's nothing more that, that, that you could imagine than losing everything you have, but also losing the people you love. And we know that so many people are walking through that valley right now. So we need to be lifting them up in our prayers. But we're not going to just be doing that as a church. We're also going to be organizing a team to go over there and be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're going to be partnering with IVES, International Disaster Emergency Services. And Richie, one of our members, who's a, uh, actually a board member at IVES, is going to lead that team for us. So if you're interested in being part of that, all you have to do is email dan at journeyky.church. And so Dan, I know sometimes when I say that, it sounds like Stan, but it's, it's Dan, it's, it's me. You need to email me at journeyky.church, and we'll put you on a list, and we'll all head out there sometime in the coming weeks and help people work to reclaim their lives in the name of Jesus and show his love to people. So uh, that's going to be a tangible way for us to be able to step in and help out. But we are already stepping in because we support IDES. And when they go and they put their, their boots on the ground, they go to the local churches and they allow them to proclaim Jesus' love in the midst of just such horrific times that they're facing. So if you'll join me in prayer, we're going to take a second right now and we're going to pray for Randy and his recovery. And we're going to pray for the people in Eastern Kentucky. And we're also going to pray for us as we open up God's word and dive into his truth this morning. God, we're so grateful for this opportunity to come and to stop as a body of Christ, as your church, as Journey Church, to pray. And Lord, we ask you to bring about a full and complete healing for Randy, that you uh, would just allow him to get back to better than ever, God. Uh, movement and strength, and we just praise you that the surgery went well. We're so grateful for that, God. Lord, we also pray for those people in eastern Kentucky. We can't imagine the devastation that they've faced the loss of loved ones, the loss of everything that they have. God, so many people have, have just seen their worlds uprooted by this flood. Lord, I pray that you would come and bring peace that only you can offer, that your, your believers in that area, God, would, would shine bright and would express your love, and that, God, you would create divine appointments for us as we get ready to head over there ourselves and be your hands and feet loving on them. God, as we open up this book, your Bible, and ask it to just change and rearrange us into your image. I pray that you would just help your truth to stand firm in our hearts and our minds this morning. And God, I pray that anything is from me, it's from Dan, would just pass away and would be forgotten quickly. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for this opportunity to study your word and to step into what you would have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to continue on in the Good News series, as you all can see. 
uh, we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you know 1 Corinthians 13. You might have heard it at a wedding. It's called the love chapter. It talks about love, and we love to use it in our weddings because it's very poetic. It's beautiful. The words that are written about love in this way is just dynamic. But it's more than just something beautiful, isn't it? It's a cornerstone of who we are and of what we should be doing as the church. And we know that because Jesus told us so. You know, when the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up, they were coming to him and asking him questions. And one of the questions they asked him is, what is the greatest commandment? They wanted to pick him apart. But what he did is he gave them an answer that turned this world upside down. And he told them, the first thing that you should do, the first commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And out of that sprang the golden rule, which has been widely circulated throughout the world. But those commandments are the key to really who we are as a people, to what God calls us to do. That's what the law was supposed to do, is set us apart. And so Jesus is saying, my people will be set apart by their love for God and by their love for other people. And so as a church, we include that in our mission statement. It's why we exist. It's what we're doing. We love God and we love people. And we combine those great commandments with the great commission which is to go and make disciples. Not just disciples that are part of faith, but disciples who make disciples. So we love God, we love people, and we make disciples who make disciples. So what we're talking about this morning isn't just pretty, it isn't just beautiful, it isn't just poetic. It's something foundational to who we are, and it demands our time and our attention. And it's going to unlock something that should be true about who we are, especially as we relate to God. So let's step into that this morning as we get to 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll read the first three verses. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is incredible, just powerful symbolism, isn't it? And, and just interesting examples as well. well. We have to remember that Paul is speaking to a church specifically. And this church was actually uh, struggling in a lot of ways with trying to vie for significance. And one of the ways that they were struggling with that was in their gifts. So Paul goes through and he sees all these things, things like speaking in tongues. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God gives that to us. Prophetic powers, all understanding of knowledge and mysteries, all these things are good. But yet without love, they're meaningless. They leave us nowhere. Even giving all that we have, even giving up our very own lives and becoming martyrs for the faith without love is nothing. And we can find out why, because as Paul's talking about these gifts, he explains the purpose of them. They're not meant to build ourselves up. They're not meant to make us feel, oh, I'm so great because I can do this or do that in God's name. They're meant to build up his church. You see, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul tells us, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's talking about the good of the church. Those gifts aren't used to think about how great we are. They're used to think about how great God is. 
and to encourage one another in him. And so what Paul says to them at the end is he leads into this section of Corinthians where we're talking about love, is he says, you know, in 1231, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, speaking in tongues, doing miracles, you know, understanding all uh, mysteries and teachings. Earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So what is it about love that makes it a more excellent way? What helps it to go ahead and take these powerful gifts that God's given us, the ability to remove mountains, to see people healed. We see that in the church. We've seen that in in our prayers being answered. I live that. I stand here today as your prayers being answered, as God moving mountains in my life. And so many others get to see that too. And so what makes love this rudder? Well, it's because it steers our love away from ourselves and to its intended purpose, each other, to God and each other. That was the purpose for these gifts, these manifestations, is that they should be used for the common good. And so as we combine them with love, they start to go ahead and be directed towards their intended object, us, his church. Now, when we talk about love, there's a certain ambiguity to the word, isn't there? I mean, the Greeks had eight words for love. That's a lot of love. (laughs) In fact, our use of the word has quite a spectrum, doesn't it? We can love, you know, God. We can love our families. We can love our kids, our careers, cars, coffee, cookies, hopefully in that order and hopefully not equally. You know, I mean, we, we love on such a broad spectrum. So what kind of love guides these gifts that God's given us? What kind of love drives us to that? Well, Paul knows this, and he leaves no room for us to guess as we continue reading in verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. (laughs) What an incredible expression of love. What an amazing, pure reflection of who God is to us, right? This is something that can st- you can step back and kind of like get yourself caught up in. Because it's not natural to us, is it? Something that strikes out to me uh, immediately is it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. You know, some people say that love is simply setting aside truth to accept others. That's a... a general thought in our culture, that if you really love people, you'll just stop worrying about what's true and just, just love them, accept them for, for who they are. And, and we should accept people the same way Jesus accepted people. He lived with those people who were on the fringes, those people that were hated, the tax collectors. He lived with those people who were selling themselves to get by, those people that were untouchable. He accepted them, but he didn't affirm the lifestyles that they were living in. He didn't affirm the sin was in their life because how could you love someone and affirm something that is leading them to their own death, to their own destruction? The Bible is so clear 
about what happens when sin is left unchecked in our lives. It leads us to a place that eventually takes us to death. So there's no way that we could go ahead and affirm someone in their sin and call it love. It would be the antithesis of love. It would be allowing them to self-destruct. But we need to accept those people. Because Jesus said, I haven't come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. The sick don't need (laughs) us to go ahead and push them out of the hospital. They need us to welcome them in. And so we need to be like Jesus, willing to love people back to health. Not affirming everything that they're in, but letting them know that they're worth our love and our time. So we just, that's just blatantly clear to me, and it's, it's powerful in this moment because people are fighting over this word in our culture, love, and they're wanting to go ahead and say what it is, but God has a pure and amazing view of it. So we're just going to review again. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs, and aren't we grateful because you can never get ahead. You know, it's, never, it's the worst thing in the world to have that feeling that you can never just get on the right side of the marker. And then it is patient. It is kind. It rejoices in the truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes. And it perseveres. You know, as I step back and I think about this, it's just clear to me that there's an obvious direction to love, isn't there? It takes us outside of ourselves to God and to others. It doesn't, it, this love that God's talking about, his love is one that pulls us outside of our own desires and brings us into those worlds that are around us that people are experiencing. It doesn't keep us stuck up in our own world. And that's because God is selfless and his love will keep us and hold us even when we break down and allow us to reflect what he has for us in his love versus getting stuck up when we have our own love. Because when we break down and we're struggling, you know, that's when our love breaks down too, isn't it? We start to get more ornery with each other. We start to look like the don'ts, not the do's, don't we? You know, I don't know how many of you, how many of you have watched reels before? If I say reels, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, there's a few people. I know, I'm sorry, I'm outing you. I apologize. But it, I, me and my wife, we get stuck in these things and we send them to each other because they just make us laugh. Well, I want to share one with you this morning uh, because I think it's, it's apparent in, in our marriages more than anywhere else. We can see clearly how love breaks down when we are exhausted at our worst. Our spouses get to see that. And in the midst of that, they start to be exposed to uh, maybe not the greatest side of ourselves. And uh, we try to do our best, but we sometimes fall short. And uh, this is just a funny reel. I think that exposes some of that. So let's take a second to watch. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Have you seriously not taken the trash out? I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is... Um, it's, it's a struggle, all right? Uh, this is not a message about love languages, okay? But love languages are real, all right? And so if you haven't read that book, you should. My wife is acts of service. I'm more words of affirmation. And, you know, when I try to do something, it's an effort, you know? Especially if I'm tired, 
it's an effort for me to go ahead and love her in a way that she feels loved, you know, and, and to express God's love in that way. You know, that's the love that God wants us to go ahead and live out. And that's the kind of love that doesn't fail. But we so often fail in our own devices, right? And so what does culture tell us? It tells us, well, if you want to love the way that you should love, you better start by loving yourself. And, you know, that's kind of a half-truth, isn't it? Which is actually a lie. The half-truth is a lie. Because the half-true thing of it is we can't love others if we hate ourselves, if we're stuck on self-loathing. That's just not how we work as people. That's not how God designed us to be. But we can never create enough love for ourselves to fill us in such a way with worth and meaning that we would be able to love the way that Jesus is describing us to love in the Bible, the way that Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians. We have to accept God's love and allow it to fill us to overflowing so that we're able to express that love whether we're in a place of tiredness or not because we know who he is and how he values us and the meaning that he gives to us. That's the place where we need to be responding from. Because in our marriages, our families, our friendships, with our colleagues, with the customers that we face, we're called to love as his people. We're called to be the church. And it only works if he's the source of it. And so we're going to go to 1 John 4, 7 through 9, and read about how John is unpacking this reality, that God is our source of love. And it says, Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love of God, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God is the source of love because God is love. Who he is, his nature, is just love. In the truest form, he defines it. And as we live with him, walk with him, know him, he transforms us into a new creation, born again as, as, as believers, and able to walk in a way where we can live out the love that Jesus has shown us by coming and dying on the cross. He makes it all possible because without his death on the cross, we couldn't walk with God. And without experiencing that and knowing that, we could never realize how secure our self-worth and our, our meaning in life truly is. So, Paul knows this too. And in Corinthians, he continues on in verse 8 by saying, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. You see, Jesus is that perfect manifestation of love from the Father to us. And he's come and given us everything that we could possibly need. Now, we've been saved by that love, and that love will remain in our lives, whether on this side of eternity or the next. And we can live into the reality of his love and express it to others in a way that is unequal. 
Now in our mortal bodies, in our mortal understanding of things, those will pass away. Eventually, this mind's going to stop thinking. Eventually, this mouth's going to stop talking. But you know what isn't going to stop? Is the love that I have of the Lord. That's going to continue on, and I'll be able to share with him one day face to face. But living out that love in this world is hard. It's hard because we are broken, because we're not in that glorified body, because we're not made perfect yet. It requires a sense of maturity. And that's what Paul continues on to say in verse 11 and 12. He says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You know, maturity is something that we value in our world, right? It's something that's important. We don't see it in kids very often, and that's why when if a kid does something that's selfless or that thinks of others, we praise that child. We tell them, you've done a great job, great, you know, that's exactly what you want to do. We don't expect that of them because they're a child and their whole world revolves around what they want, what they need, what they're looking for. Amen, parents? Amen. Yeah, I think we've seen that many a time. So it's just how they're wired. But when you get into adulthood, if you start seeing an adult that's walking around and it's doing things that are selfless, that are selfish, excuse me, and aren't, you know, considering the people around them, it kind of gets annoying, doesn't it? You're like, wait, hold on, stop. Stop a second. You know, think about what you're doing. You know, there's other people in this room. You know, there's other people around you. You know, it, it, there's a bit of angst that we feel. I think what Paul is saying to these people is, you've been given these gifts in the church, not for yourself, but to grow up and start considering the people that God's placed you around. <laughs> to think about those people that you come in contact with at work in the grocery store. And to love those people that are in the church with you. All of them. All of them. We're a family here, aren't we? You know? Family isn't always easy, but it's important. And we need to be a family that loves each other the way that God has loved us. Amen? So we see dimly, but then face to face. What is Paul talking about? I think he's saying that, that we're being invited into something greater than we could possibly imagine. Something that has a deeper meaning and a more incredible um, manifestation than we could possibly really grasp. And so I want to go back to 1 John 4 and just read through that passage again and continue on and get to what he was saying with that. It starts again in 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, and he continues on in 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Wow. That ending in 12 is pretty powerful. 
We're going to hold on that for a second. We're going to dive in deeper. God loved us before we loved him. And that's why we accept people who are imperfect in the church. And that's why we love on everyone in the church. Because God loved us when we were enemies of him and drew towards us. So if we have someone out there who's maybe just rough around the edges, guess what? We're going to love them because that's who Jesus is and that's who God is to us. We need to be people who represent that. So this should be the motivation. The love that we experience from God should be the love that's flowing out of us. It cannot be our own love. It has to be his love coming through what Jesus has done for us. So we have two options, truly, of pursuing meaning and worth in this life. We can go ahead and try to do everything we can to get others to fill that need for love and worth and meaning and to try to think about how great we are and how good we are and how worthy we are of love so that we can go ahead and be what we want to be to the people around us, which is going to fall short. People will disappoint you and you will disappoint the people that are depending on you. Or we can accept God's love for us, his perfect, overflowing, mind-boggling love that transforms us and renews us and always leaves us full and ready to love others the way that they need to be loved. You know, the Corinthians were seeking significance through what they did, through who they were following, through the gifts that they had, through those things. And Paul is just telling them, hey guys, stop acting like selfish kids. Grow up and start realizing that God's given you these things for a purpose, for the common good of the body of Christ so that we can be that shining example of his love and his truth. So when we hold up the mirror to ourselves and we ask ourselves, what do we see? It's not just our own selfishness. It's Jesus. It's Jesus shining back at us. Because the church's power is its ability to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. We recreate the image of God in the church when we live out God's love for us with one another. Everything we could possibly accomplish is because of Jesus and his gifts to us. Amen? It's because of what he's done for us. So there's nothing for us to be proud about. Everything that we do should be from a place of God's love for us and back to a place of loving him and the people that he's placed around us. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. God's love is meant to free us from striving for self-worth. It's meant to place us in a place where we know God's worth and sh- for us and share that with others and let them know that they have a worth that is in God that is unchangeable, unshakable, that is solid, something they can build their life on. And we can't fall into obsessions about our successes or our failures, whether they be ours or someone else's. We have to be caught up in the transformational, overflowing, mind-changing love of Jesus Christ that has been freely given to us because of his work on the cross. We have to be people who are pressing into that. And when we are, God does something amazing in our midst. We read again in 1 John 4, 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us 
and his love is perfected in us. This is what makes love the greatest of these. This is what makes love greater than hope or faith because our love for one another makes the unseen but ever-present God of our faith in whom we hope visible in our midst. It makes him present in our interactions with each other. And so we have to be people who are consumed by love and obsessed with expressing it with each other because we understand how unworthy we were of receiving that love from him. But in his goodness, in his graciousness, he has so freely given it to us. That changes us, doesn't it? And it points us somewhere, doesn't it? It points us outside of ourselves. It points us into his presence and into the world that needs him. So I just want to ask us this morning a simple question. When you hold up that mirror, what are you seeing? Are you seeing yourself stuck in selfish love that is only focused on your inner life? what you want, what you need? Are you being filled by God's love for you? Filled to overflowing. No longer chasing after, trying to be good enough, but realizing that Jesus has made that possible for us in his work on the cross. And finding all of our strength, hope, and identity in him so that we have the strength that we need to love like he's described it here. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I don't stand here perfect in this. You know that. This is a tall order. I I think you meant it to be that way. I think you've called us to your standard of love, a love that is beyond us, God. But Lord, I pray that as we live into that love, that we would just praise you, that we would glorify you for what you're doing through us. And that we would thank you for your work in our hearts and in our minds and our lives, God, as we walk with you. Continually giving you the glory for that, God, and keeping our eyes fixed on you. But Lord, if we find ourselves in a place where we are being consumed with ourselves, where we've lost sight of walking with you, God, and we see that reflection of ourselves all too clearly, then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn back to you, to return to your open arms and realize that your love hasn't gone anywhere, that we can experience it again if we just return to you, God, and walk with you and and give our lives to you, Jesus. Maybe we need to recommit ourselves to you, God, this morning. I pray that we would do that. But maybe some of us here need to commit to give our lives to you for the first time. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that they have everything to gain and absolutely nothing to lose as they say yes to you. Lord, we ask that you would just draw us into a place where we can be people who reflect your love, who live out your legacy and our 
able to bring your peace, your love into a world that is hurting and desperately needing of it. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would do your work in us, God, in this moment that we share. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to be up here if you'd like to go ahead and, and pray. We're going to be worshiping. I encourage you just to do your business with the Lord in this place. There's altars, you know, and you can come and talk to me. And also Georgia will be here as well if you'd like to, to pray with someone. But let's go to the Lord and allow this to be a moment of responding to him and really looking deeply into who we are and what he would have for us. That's worship.